Time the children may be uh, dismissed for uh, Children's Church. Uh, the scripture reading for today is, is found in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 1 through 13. Uh, it's page 813 in the Red Pew Bible. Pew Bible. Again, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and cannot fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that cannot move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, and always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, and thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Pastor Chris is going to come and bring God's word to us this morning. There was a young minister, and he was out visiting, doing his rounds as he came to this new church. And he went to visit this elderly couple. And he was having a wonderful time with them, but as he was spending time with them, he was very, very impressed, particularly about the husband. He used such endearing names for his wife. He called her darling and sweetheart and precious And and he was just amazed at the love that they had for one another after all of these years of marriage. And when the wife had left the room for a moment, he said, well, I have to ask you, what is the secret? I mean, you use such impassioned words to describe your wife as you speak to her all the time. What is your secret? And he turned to that young pastor and he said, well, to tell you the truth, I forgot her name. Sometimes I think we're not as loving as what other people think about us. And I'm really challenged as we look at this passage this morning that I wonder 
How much of a grasp do we have of the love of God? Or perhaps I could more aptly say, how much does it have a grasp upon us, upon you, and upon me? Now, men, if you have a significant other, a wife, or a girlfriend, or a mom, or whoever you want, lady you want to share your love, uh, I hope I'm not breaking any new news to you, but this past week was Valentine's Day. And it's been commercialized, and you can buy your Hallmark cards, and you can pick up your flowers and your candy, and go out to eat, and patronize the restaurants, and, and do everything that they have for Valentine's Day. But did you know that this is truly a Christian holiday? It bears a name of, of a Christian man. Back in the third century, there was this pastor named Valentinus. He was a godly man who loved the Lord with all of his heart. And when Claudius II was ruler in Rome, things weren't so godly. They lived in a polytheistic society and practiced polygamy. And Valentinus preached monogamy that God meant one man for one woman. And that there was also only one God. Because he loved God so much, he would not back down from this truth. So he was arrested, put in jail, and was awaiting execution. While there, the jailer who watched over him was impressed by this man of God, his heart and his knowledge. And he had a young daughter named Julia. And she was blind from birth. And he wanted his young daughter to have the privilege of getting to know this man. And the days that they had, he opened the world to her. She got to see the world through his eyes. He was a learned man. He taught all about the history and all about natural history and what the world was like. And most importantly, he shared about God. And she had accepted Christ as her Savior. And she turned to him one day and he go, does God really answer prayer? And Valentina said that God answers every prayer as he knows that is best for us. And she said, do you know what I pray for every day? And he said, what is that? I pray that God would give me my sight. So they prayed together in that prison cell. And as it's been reported that the cell was filled with a glorious light. And then all of a sudden she cried out to Valentinus and said, I can see, I can see. And they praised the Lord together. For God had given her her sight. But after a few more days, it came the eve of his execution. And Valentinus wrote a letter to Julia, encouraging her to keep walking close with the Lord. And at the bottom of that impassioned note, he had signed, Your Valentine. That's what this holiday is about. A man who loved God so much that he was willing to give 
his life. But I'm afraid for us. I really am. I'm afraid for myself. That we don't really understand the love of God. Because it is a different kind of love. If you would look at the uh, last verse of chapter 12, which uh, says this, um, and now I will share with you a more excellent way. And I'm afraid in this world, this more excellent way is very, very rare. I'm afraid it is too rare in my own life, but I also fear that I am not alone. For God wants us to have an unnatural love. Agape love is not from ourselves. It comes from him. Now, there are several different references to love in the New Testament. And in the original Greek, they use different words like eros for an impassioned love between a man and a woman. Or phileo, a brotherly love that one man has for another, one woman for another, kind of like a police officer with his partner. Or even referred to many times in the scripture, though not rightly stated, was the Greek word storage, which means the type of love that family members have for one another. It's funny. In Greek, there are many different words for love, and we use one word to just lump it all in together. I don't know what the Greek word would be for the way that we use the love, the word love, like I love pizza or I love candy. Uh, I don't know what, I don't think it would be eros or phileo or storage, but, but we use it. We, we use it to cover so many things that I'm afraid we washed it out. And we don't realize that this rare word of love that we have throughout the scripture, this agape love, this self-sacrificial love, is very foreign to us. Because we are by nature selfish human beings. There's one thing that God impressed upon me, no matter who we have come to visit camp, and we have many blessed groups that come and many people who definitely need the Lord that come. You know, and then when we leave with those people who really need the Lord, and I see all kinds of unnecessary vandalism or things that were just broken and ruined, the Lord had taught me years ago that the one thing everybody has in common that comes to Camp Pinnacle is that we are all sinners. But you know that the one thing that we also have in common here that we too are all sinners. And it works out quite well in the English language as you spell the word sin, that middle letter is a uh, letter I. But we naturally kind of live that it's all about us. Now we correct ourselves as we come here to the church and, and, and I love this church and I love our worship and the fellowship habits we have together and we try to get our minds right, and we, and we realize and we focus in worship that it really is all about Him. But I know if I, don't, if I let myself go the way myself wants to go, it retreats back to its old, natural, sinful nature. For the truth is that our love from ourselves is selfish. For we love what we like. Don't we? 
But God wants us. And it can only be assimilated through faith to be able to capture and live in his love. For an agape love is a selfish, sacrificial, unconditional love. You know, you, you look at, at men and women, they go into the services and when they're on the battlefield, they feel that they have a bond of brothers that is there. For they'll keep each other's back and they'll lay down their lives. But if one of those brothers becomes a coward and lives for himself and allows his brothers to die, that bond is broken and that man would have shame upon him. For it is conditional. I'll watch your back if you watch mine. That is not the type of love we're talking about. I will love you, God says, no matter what. That is different. That's the very essence of the gospel. It is the love that Jesus showed to us and showed to the Father. For he so loved the world, so loved you and I, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, the scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. <coughs> not when we got our act together. And God did not die for anyone in this room because you are any good. For it's not a result of works, lest any of us should boast. For we are saved by grace through faith. We often feel unworthy, and rightly so. But even if we live worthy, we're really not. The Bible says that compared to God and his holiness, our righteousness that makes us feel good and sometimes puffed up is like filthy racks. There is nothing that we can impress God with, no sacrifice that we can give unless we do so in faith through him and for him. For the essence of agape love is self-denial. But the essence of human love is self-gratification. So I want us to think seriously this morning. What is God requiring of us? And you look at the first few verses here, and he sets the stage that really should wake us up, or should make us question ourselves. He said, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but not have love, I gain nothing. Does that make you pause to think, are we on the right track? How many of us want, oh Lord, only if I could do something great for you. If I, if I can speak better, if I can sing better, if I can serve better. 
Oh, if my life can be significant and I can do something awesome for you. And we often think of these platitudes and we completely miss it. I mean, we we put such high values on knowledge and it talks about knowledge here and and, and perhaps those who can speak eloquently and stand in front of others and, and, and all this showy thing or we were rightly said this morning, you know, don't bring any attention to any of us here because God knows we are not worthy of it. But why do we put such a big value on it? Now, I'm not going to down knowledge, but how much money do people spend on their education? I mean, we, we spend over $20,000 a year from, when, from kindergarten on up, and then it's, it grows exponentially, and it'll cost you over 100000 plus to, to get a bachelor's degree in education, and we'll spend years of our life dedicating to this. And we say that this is important, and yes, it does have value. But what kind of value does it have compared to agape love? I mean, look at the last verse here, and we admire those who sacrifice. And, you know, sometimes in our more holier moments, we might think, gee, I wish I can give my life for my Lord and die for him. But what does it say here? Even if we surrender our body to the flames and have not love, I gain nothing. So even if you're able to do these magnificent things, and maybe we even do it in God's name, but if we don't do it in agape love? So what hope is there for us? If we can even do this great thing for God and completely miss the boat. Why bother? Hmm. Well, it is interesting to see how he explains love to us in the following verses here. And their couch, and each one, each reference that we have here, it is the Greek word agape, which is our Savior's type of love. Now, I want you to realize that love is not a feeling. It is a decision. Now, there's no greater love than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. Then Jesus took it a step further and laid down his life for his enemies. For we nailed him upon the cross. But when Jesus was struggling the night before to give his life, What did he pray? Father, not my will, but thine will be done. The true essence of the act of love is a decision of our will. It is not how we feel. For if you love those who love you, the scripture says, what credit have you? For even tax gatherers and sinners, they do the same. But it's interesting when he's telling us how we can miss the boat doing these great things. And if we don't do them in love, we gain nothing. 
But look what he says, that how love expresses himself. In verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I don't think there's any mistake in the order in which these are given to us. For since love is a decision... And we need to choose godly actions. And we realize that our feelings are a caboose that may or may not follow afterwards. See, the world says, if it feels good, do it. Jesus says, I do what I see my Father doing. I choose to do His will over mine. For the essence of God's love, this agape love, the love that he wants to see displayed in each and every one of us and in each and every interaction that we have with one another. This is what God is looking for. Not these big, great sacrifices and events and impressive things that we stand and go, ah, at. What does God go ah at? Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, If any man wants to come and follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. We are talking about what impresses God is these everyday events. Not these great things that we put such great value on. And unless we miss the boat completely, he starts off with patience. Patience is the first godly virtue of true agape love. For without it, we will ruin everything else. Patience. We need to start by stopping. We need to be still and know that he is God. I don't know about you, but I've never woken up saying, boy, I really feel like being patient this morning. It usually comes when I don't feel like being patient. When I point the fingers at others or other things and I forget that three others are pointing back at me. That's why we need to be still. We need to stop. Because since love is an unnatural act for us sinful human, selfish beings, we need to make sure that we're walking close to him. We need to draw close to him. Or we will naturally respond unselfishly and sinfully. 
See, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So you need to stop and realize you need God's help in this situation, with this person, with this thing that you are struggling with. And in so doing, we walk by faith. As Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. (coughs) And God is looking for these types of acts of faith that honor and please him. The everyday interactions that we have, that we take every thought and bring it captive to Christ. For the battleground is in here that we offer to him. I remember as a young Christian, and I got saved at the University of Rhode Island at the age of 19. And I was studying commercial fisheries and marine technology. And I was working on a, on a 106-foot charter boat called the Nautican II. And I was a brand new Christian, and I was studying through Proverbs, and I came across the verse that said, A gentle answer turns away wrath. And there was this one day when none of the other mates showed up. You're supposed to have one mate for every 15 people. We were cod fishing um, off the coast of, of Rhode Island. And there were over 90 people on the boat that day, and I was the only mate. And so we had... 90 lines that went down into the water. And so this was a big vessel. There was a big wheelhouse and cabin in between. The people on the port side could not see those on the starboard. So with those 90 lines in the water, 45 on either side, we happened, instead of running into a school of codfish, we ran into a school of dogfish. Dogfish are sand sharks. They're about four feet long. And they love to swim in circles. And when you have 90 lines in the water... With these fish swinging and swimming in circles, grabbing the clams at the end of those hooks, you get a mess. And as a young Christian, I had my quiet time Proverbs Day, and and I I, I pulled up on the starboard side this bird's nest, they call it, when all the lines are tangled in together. But the problem is, when I was working on the lines on the starboard side, the people on the port side thought they had a fish. So as I was trying to untangle this mess, they were setting the hooks into my fingers, into my hand. And at that very same time, a guy from the bow comes running down. He had caught a 100-foot codfish. And, you know, our boat, you would have at least 20 feet of freeboard so that you would use these long poles called a gaff, and you would, you know, gaff the fish, and you'd have to bring it because the line could not support such a fish out of the water. And God brought a verse back to me, and I very, very uncharacteristically said, I'm going to try this out. So instead of cursing and swearing and yelling back at this guy who started yelling at me, come on, you got to gas my fish. And, and here I got my bloody hands on a tangled mess. I tried something I never tried before. I said, I'm doing the best that I can. I'll be there as soon as possible. And you would have thought, that I had taken that gaff and shoved him into the gut and made him bleed. Instead of me yelling back at him, which would have made him yell back at me louder, which made me all more upset, and I would have done the same thing back, the typical way that our arguments go. When I gave him a gentle answer, when 
I, by God's grace, when he brought back the scripture to my memory and decided to try it for the first time as a young Christian, I saw a man hurt more than I could ever have done physically. He was so hurt. Just by that gentle answer, he felt so bad that he stopped fishing for the rest of the day. He followed me around like a puppy dog. He said, you know, I used to be a mate too, and he wanted to shuck the bait, and he wanted to, and, and it got so annoying, I couldn't get rid of him. <laughs> but God taught me something that day. I went, wow, you know what you're talking about. Love is patient. How patient are you? How patient am I? I think we all can agree that we are a work in progress. But make sure you're progressing. I think that's what God is bringing to our attention this morning. Because what we are talking about, what we are looking at, is something that is unnatural. You cannot go with the flow. This goes against it. In fact, one of my favorite movies is the old movie Moby Dick. And, um, you know, with uh, Gregory Peck. And in it, Orson Welles, and you probably heard of him, he actually was the preacher in the Wellsman's Chapel. And it was neat. I love this pulpit. Since you know, I was a commercial fisherman, his pulpit was the shape of a bow of a boat. And the bowsprit that went out was in the shape of a cross that held the stays that would take care of the rest of the vessel. And so he's standing on top of this bow-shaped pulpit. But he says something that I haven't forgotten. And he was giving an expositional message from the book of Jonah. And he said that to do the will of God is hard. For to obey God, we must disobey ourselves. And especially in our culture in which we live, we don't want to disobey ourselves. But in our own sinful nature, which our culture comes from, we look for self-gratification. But Jesus disobeyed himself when he prayed, not his will, but the Father's be done. He did not want to go to the cross He's not sadistic. He did not want to bleed and die and take upon all that shame of all of your sins and mine upon the cross. But he loved us more than himself. And without any condition on our part, he died for us. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love is unconditional. It's patient, it's kind, it does not envy or boast or proud or rude. It is not self-seeking, not easily angry, keeps no record of wrongs. Do we have a list? Someone does something, we tell them all the things that they have bothered us and they did to us. I've been blessed. Up at Camp Pinnacle, I get to see some of God's church choice servants come there. Where people serve sacrificially, selflessly, and teach me about this agape love. And we were up against it like we often are <laughs> last June. And by the way, a commercial this June, we'll have Freedom Fest, and we're getting ready for Freedom Fest. 
And uh, we, we had too much to do to get ready. You know, we, we got part of jobs done, not the complete job done, like in our wonderful overlook that looks over the Hudson and Mohawk Valleys that you can see for 100 miles. We wanted to put a new deck on, and we got as far as taking the old deck off. You know, we had like 800 people come for the Freedom Fest, and that is a problem. Do you know who God sent to finish putting that deck on? I mean, this guy spent like 12 hours, and actually two days, 12 hours. And I go out and meet this fellow, Gary. Loving. He just couldn't, he just loved serving the Lord to whatever he can. Now, Gary didn't tell me this, but um, Billy Tryon, my friend, did. He goes, you know, Gary is not allowed to lift anything heavier than a pencil. You see, he has a genetic heart defect that all of his family, all of his brothers and sisters and his father had all died by the age of 30. And Gary is 50. And Gary was out there ripping, well, putting down these plank after plank after plank, working these long, arduous days when he could literally die at any moment. Just so you know how truthful and serious what I'm talking about, two weeks ago, Gary had half of his heart replaced and it didn't go well. And now he's looking for a full heart transplant. So if you can pray for Gary Wilkie, I appreciate it. This man was willing to give his life just to put a deck down for God. He saw a need without question, put his life on the line to meet it. What do we do for God? What sacrificial love do we have? I want us to appreciate that this sacrificial love comes with something really more awesome than my words can ever express. For when we walk and express and give ourselves to the love of God, we allow God to live in and through us. A third century pastor, Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers, said this about this passage, about God's agape love. As a spark falls into the sea and does not harm the sea, so harm may be done to a loving soul and is soon quenched without the soul harming that soul. Do you realize as we apply what is here in verses 4 through 7, as we allow God to fill us, you know, that old saying can be true. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But words do hurt us, and, and we need to season our speech with salt. But maybe we get hurt too easily because we're living too selfishly. Maybe we get angry too easily because we're living too much for ourselves. When we're angry, sometimes we feel strong because the adrenaline goes, but the Bible says you are really actually weak. Proverbs uh, describes a man of anger that he is like a city without walls. And we know that a city without walls can be easily conquered. The ironic thing is what Jesus said is true. We must die before we can live. But how much do we die on a daily basis showing God's love to one another? 
God's agape love in the first three verses is very exclusive. You do all these things without love, it profits you nothing. God's agape love is defined by very practical, simple, everyday interactions that we have with one another. And God's agape love will never fail. In verse 8, love never fails, but with their prophecies they will cease. With their tongues they will be stilled. With their knowledge it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Have we? Have we grown up yet in the Lord? Take a lesson from Jesus working with Peter when he was very young in the faith. When he thought he was so strong and and he goes, Lord, I'd be willing to die for you. And then just later on, and Jesus had prophesied when the cock threw three times, you would have denied me such. That when Jesus went to restore them, and you got to look at this text in the original language or you completely miss it because we misuse the word love. For Jesus turned, to G- Jesus turned to Peter and said, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, yes, I love you. And he said, feed my sheep. And then he loved you and said that three times, but do you know what the words are different? Let me paint it the way Jesus, and it actually happened. Jesus said, Peter, do you agape me? Do you have a selfless love for me? Well, Peter obviously didn't. He was afraid for his own life. So Peter honestly answered said, Lord, yes, I phileo you. I have a brotherly love for you. Jesus graciously said, feed your sheep. And Jesus said again, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I follow you. Feed my sheep. And then Jesus last time says, well, Peter, do you follow me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I follow you. Well, Peter grew in his faith. God wants to take you where you are to bring you where you can be. And he does it one step at a time. But when we were a child, we thought as a child. When I got born again back in December 14, 1976, I was a child in the faith. Hopefully I've grown some over the decades since. God wants you and I to grow. And the standard is the extent of his agape love within our life. God gives me a little thermometer. You know, we use the thermometer to see what the temperature is like outside. Well, mine is how I react to annoying things or annoying people. Do I get annoyed? Then I'm walking in the flesh. But when I smile, I realize I'm walking closer to him. And I, I see me having a mixture throughout the day. And, but I look at his check. I go, oh, wow, I'm annoyed. I'm weak. I'm a city without walls. I need to be patient, for love starts there. It is a decision that each of us needs to make on a daily basis. That's why Jesus said, if you follow me, you must deny yourself. And he says, you take up your cross daily. Yes, we make a decision, we walk the aisle, we give our life to the Lord. But every day we must put ourselves back upon his altar. For these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. May we show God is real by the extent that we walk and exemplify his agape love in each of us. Let's pray.
Father, we give ourselves for your purpose. And perhaps your purpose is far simpler than we think. So I ask, Lord, that you'd help us, each of us here, to allow you to gain more control of our life, that we would grow from a spiritual child to a man of God. Peter, who meant so well, but denied you, later gave his life for you. Lord, help us to give our life for you. Sometimes it's more difficult to live for you than it is to die for you. But each and every day, help us to bring every thought captive to you. And by your grace and through your strength, in fact, through your spirit and yourself, may you live through us that we may live in agape love and thus honor you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.